Welcome to Chill and Ambitious, the podcast that points out shit you didn't know was relevant. This is the Life Innovator series. Life innovators are people who tailor their daily desires and lifelong passions to their everyday. And we hope they inspire you to do the same. I'm O. I'm No. And, and together, together we make Oh No. It goes a one, two, three, and perfection to the D is quite essential. He has to live up to his potential. I'm not okay till I get it. I'm a slave to money for perfection. Whatever comes up, comes out We don't put our hands over our mouth And whatever comes up, comes out We don't put our hands over our mouth Now, when you think of someone who's a perfectionist, what kind of person do you think of? What comes into your mind? Like a super highly strong person who's like, I don't know. I just think of a highly, highly strong person. (laughs) Highly strong person. (laughs) Like mentally. No, highly strong. Oh, highly strong. Highly strong. Okay, that makes more sense. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> highly strong. Like- I think that, I mean, it does take a lot to power through all that, but it it's like mentally exhaustive and it's not sustainable. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's usually what people think of. Um, and today we have a guest who struggled with perfectionism. And I wonder how his perfectionism turned out because... It's funny because I feel like I actually, especially in my more later adult life, I very much identify with like perfectionism, but I don't actually think of, I feel like I'm not like the typical, like when people usually, when I usually even think about perfectionist, I think of someone who's like very orderly and very like really, yeah, like you said, high strung and like on point about certain, I don't know, like in every aspect. But I guess for me, I'm like very selectively perfectionistic. And then when I get there, I am like, it needs to be a certain way. And I get very disappointed and upset when things don't meet the level of what I thought should have been the perfection. Well, I think actually that that's a miscon- another misconception because people who are, I think that everyone's a perfectionist about something. Mm-hmm. Um, we compartmentalize it. And like a lot of people I know who are like perfectionists in their like personal careers and stuff, like maybe are like emotionally really like they neglect themselves emotionally or mm-hmm. they like neglect their home life a bit more. So like it always, you pay for it in one somewhere else. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So like that's the, like the, uh, the illusion. Right. It's I guess it's, it's, it's an expectation if anything, right. Perfectionism is whatever ideal that you've applied to. Yeah. To whatever your, endeavor is um well so that's something that our guest today jonas koffler um discovered after an unfortunate uh stroke that he had at the age of 26 yeah um but, striving for perfection that yeah led him into the hospital and- um but yeah he has since recovered and done a lot of amazing things he is has a film production company he um he's an entrepreneur he's an entrepreneur he just published a book called Hustle. Yes. Um, the Power to Charge Your Life with Money, Meaning, and Momentum. He also was recently published by the New York Times. Um, <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's just involved in everything. He has a wellness startup. So, yeah. yeah. He's very much a doer and a dreamer. Yes. 
He's a bother. He's a bother. So <laughs> we learned a lot from him today. And I think he's very much the epitome of chill and ambitious in that uh, maybe because of him having to pull pull in his perfectionism, he's had a certain level of chill, but he also just came out with a book called Hustle. So he's definitely chill and ambitious. And we'd love you to hear the conversation. Absolutely. This is where we hustle. Every day I'm hustling. 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 Every day I'm every day I'm every day I'm You talked about kind of having this life changing thing happen to you when you were twenty six. Yeah. You had a stroke. I, I did have a stroke, yes. Uh, so I was working for a startup and I loved the startup. It was a great company. You know, it was a wonderful opportunity kind of that I was talking earlier with them about, with y'all rather, about life being a blank canvas. And, you know, this was the first real job I had in my life. I'd done other things. I'd worked as a stonemason in school. Um, odd jobs, like literally filling semi, uh, semi, not semi, Semi-trailers, you know, the big, big trucks. Yeah, yeah. With like I old in tax... Re- okay, there you go. <laughs> Did you really? That's interesting. i filling a truck with old tax returns. The worst job I've ever had. It's just horrific, right? But fascinating. The people and the conversations you have and that kind of stuff. So you offset the bad with the good. Um, and then had done various office jobs and was trying to get my footing and also thinking like in the back of my mind, I actually, wait, I'm a creative and I want to write. Why am I like, cutting rocks and you know, building walls and filling trucks and doing odd office stuff. I really want to get on with the art life. Like that's important to me. So how do I do that? How do I also learn about sort of how, you know, the sort of the functional aspects of business and like finding your place as a creative and, you know, learning how to hustle and like all the different things you need to know to get ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just very much on the job. You don't learn that in school, right? It's right. school of work and school of life, different things. And so um, I was very fortunate. I found a one ad, believe it or not. I wrote like, my best prose and I submitted it and ended up interviewing with someone now whom I adore, who is a world famous novelist. She was my first boss there and she left. And you know, my, my boss boss is actually quite famous globally as well. And again, you know, big thinkers and doers and dreamers and so forth. And the whole mission of the startup was to revolutionize um, education and democratize how people learn um, and take the textbook and make it sort of a fun edutainment experience as opposed to dry lectures yeah. and lessons and so forth. So, um, That's great. Yeah, so I, I was able to go from, you know, a position um, uh, sort of at the you know, foot in the door into a position of respectability, leading a product team, and we were developing um, a specific product, and I went in to update the team on how we were doing progress and what was new and so forth, and... <laughs> Uh, you know, I wanted to started talking and, and my mouth was drooping and my vision went really blurry and I had paralysis and the next thing I knew I was in the hospital. That's so terrifying. Oh, it was terrifying. <laughs> I mean, I literally, I remember very distinctly when it, when it started happening and I knew that there was that disconnect with the people I was talking to, the people on my team, like looking at them and like praying, like, please help me. Like, this, but you, you know? couldn't articulate no. yeah no you can't do any and then at the hospital of course you're praying please please fix me right you're right. praying to be you in know, this cold universe right or god who's laughing at you depending on who you <laughs> see you know and they're like okay i am going to be humble i get it 
I'm going to make some major changes. Just please let me pull through. Yeah. And the worst part, you know, as I talk about in the article, um, there, there are a few moments. One is not recalling what your name is. Right? Someone's saying, hey, you know, Olivia, you're Olivia. Yeah. Or no, you're, no, but I'm Jonas. Okay. What is, how do I spell that? What do the letters look like? Can you help me with that? Right. So you forgot Everything. a lot of like, your, but you, could you understand words? Oh yeah, I could understand words. But you didn't have the memory of, I guess, like specific, I, I mean, I don't know how your You're brain's like compartmentalized. You visualize like. I could actually see the letters. I couldn't string them together in an articulate, sensible way. Okay. So they'd say, your name is this, and they point on the page, Jonas Coughlin. Okay, well, got it. How do I write that? So you got to relearn everything. Yeah, and luckily, you know, the mind is a marvel, and I was able to you know, recall that a lot of stuff is in gray matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and when you're young also, you know, you have a much better shot at recovery. I think the big thing for listeners to be aware of is that the, the rates of stroke are on the rise, like alarmingly so. And all the signs were there. Uh, from you know blurred vision running up to migraines to some weird sensations in my hands, not quite par- paralysis. So you're saying you had before you actually oh, yeah. had the stroke, you had these signs of your body uh, breaking down, breaking down, yeah. trying to tell you that you need to take care of it. That's right, and you were ignoring. I'm guessing. I, I thought it was invincible. I think a lot of people, in, especially in their early 20s, believe that, mm-hmm. and uh, and. You know, I was headstrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Power through it. Didn't need to worry about sleep. I can, you know, let's do an experiment where I don't sleep for a year and see how that goes. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of stupidity. Yeah. Right? Um, and so <laughs> it came back to bite me in the ass. And, um, you know, it's regrettable. But at the same time, I wouldn't change it because it was such a powerful, galvanizing learning, you know, reset. And uh, I was lucky to come through. I, you know, it's, what's interesting about the article is I received. You know, dozens and dozens and dozens of emails from people who've had, and you know, very young, who've had horrible strokes and all sorts of weird um, sort of symptoms of overload mm-hmm. um, that manifested in some kind of pathology. And some of them, you know, have not fully recovered. They still have issues with even speech. Okay. Do you feel like you've have you fully recovered in the sense of? Who you were before and how you are now? Do people very different? The, the the great gift was learning how to be an imperfectionist. So instead <laughs> of trying to say like, "Here's the line," and I always have to stay above this line, mm-hmm. I have to perform at a certain level. I have to convey my thoughts at a certain level. I have to you know do X, Y, and Z all at this level. Mm-hmm. And when you have this this strange reset, um, you know when the universe strokes you or gives you a heart attack or hits you with a car or whatever the hell <laughs> happens to you, right? You have to figure out how to put the pieces back together and accept that whatever you were back then is no longer who you are now. And in fact, I would argue that it doesn't even take those inflection points. It's just having an awareness that you're going to change over time anyway. Right, yeah. Um, you know, so and Dan Gilbert writes about this, the, yeah. the Harvard social scientist, about um, the end of history illusion, which is to say that for some reason we tell ourselves that when we hit a certain age, we will no longer we, we've uh, we were sort of we've reached a value system and experience and knowledge level that won't change that much. You can't tre- teach an old dog new tricks, right? <laughs> exactly. 
And the reality is that we tell ourselves that same story as we age. Uh, but of course we're changing. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Um, because that, I think back on that person, I was like, God, what, what the hell was driving that Jonas then? Right? And now it's like, I needed to be that person to become who I am now. What is something you like more about yourself now? Like, aside from, you know, the uh, imperfection, like what is like yeah. one trait that you feel like you've discovered that you kind of like more now? Uh, we're so fearful of fear, right? It's sort of cliche. <laughs> but we're right, so afraid we're gonna, of having fear. Right. And the release is in um, this moment that would you overcome your fears, your fear of death, your fear of whatever. And when you do that, life becomes light again. It's easy, right? Um, and so part of my journey was getting to that point, recognizing, okay, I have nothing else to fear. It's totally cool. I can look at evil in, in the eyes. I can look at, you know, danger in the eyes. And like, I'm not, a, you know, I have, it has no impact on me whatsoever. That's right? it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no it's absolutely. just, it's interesting because it's almost like, because, you know, you were in some ways at doorstep, um, doorstep, you know, you literally had some pretty life-threatening situations. You've had a lot of friends, it seems like, um, mm-hmm. there. And it's, I always think it's interesting when the fear actually stops you from, from actually living and doing the thing that would counteract that so like it's like confronting the fear and now you're actually living fully and actually doing all those things that you know you would think if you're really afraid of death you would want to live life to the fullest now right Mm because you would want to make do with all that but you have to get that fear out of the way to actually take advantage of it exactly and so this this maps to a few points in the book we make and one is around um what we call the perils of perfection right we trap ourselves more afraid to take any risk at all because we might get you know, bitten by the snake that lives in the corner of our room. We can't see it, but we know it's there. And we have this weird, um, you know, hallucinations about how fear manifests and so forth and the dangers of doing anything. So we're just going to stay stuck and bitter and, you know, fuck life because it sucks, you know, and that's not acceptable. So instead of putting that pressure on yourself and buying into that fear thing, and we're fed it 90, you know, 9% of the day by the media you know, it's Al Qaeda is coming for us or ISIS is coming to chop our heads off or the world's going to, you know, we're going to apocalyptic nightmare and uh, it's a Kim Jong-un, you know, in South Korea or North Korea, rather, our brother up there is going to bomb everybody and all this so, stuff. Yeah. And it's 99% of the time. And then we have, you know, that one minute of the squirrel. He's like eating an acorn. Or the groundhog, right? But it's just that little sliver of hope and the light. Yeah. Well, let's orient, you know what? Let's just even forget about all that stuff and just be present in the moment and realize, you know what? You're, you're here. There's no future. There is no nothing happening. How do you but this? Um, so it's the whole sort of simple Ram Dass. Be here now. Less pressure on yourself. Forget about perfectionism. Be an imp- imperfectionist. And then beyond that, it's like, the beauty of life is that you, if you allow and you're open to it, you are, are going to learn and meet some of the most amazing people and greatest teachers in your life. And I have like this incredible series. I don't know if I've made a habit or what of just meeting remarkable people consistently, almost every day, right? Uh, I mean, for example, I, I was shooting on the stock exchange this morning, the Florida Stock Exchange. And um, what a wonderful opportunity that was, right? And, and then on the way, I met this phenomenal, actually, guy from Oakland who you would like. Um, who was telling his whole life story and, you know, and he's like, I'm a senior citizen. I'm underemployed. 
you know, but I get to meet people every day because I drive a cab part of the time. And it's enriching because it, it in a way, it brings me back to humanity. Um, I, I'm able to connect with people in ways that, you know, normally I wouldn't. And there's something incredibly gratifying about that. Like I'm sharing my wisdom with you now because I asked him some very pointed questions about the election and sort of his feelings about things. And um, so it's, you know, you, you've got to like, this idea of looking for opportunity, it's a big thing, you know, surfacing opportunity in your life. It's asking questions. Like it's more finding, asking questions and good questions to ask than looking for answers, right? Yeah. Because you're not going to arrive at the right, perfect answer. You might solve problems creatively and so forth, but always asking those questions. And I think most people don't do that, I would argue. Well, I think you just get kind of stuck in, in your ways. Like um, I read this thing that said that people are... Um, People are more likely to overcome a fear if, um, if that fear didn't just occur. Like if, and so like, let's say it's like, um, you fell off, uh, you were jumping on a trampoline and you fell off, right? So like now you're afraid of jumping on a trampoline. Now, if this thing just happened to you, you're way less likely to, to like do it. But it's really important when they're, when they do overcome that, that they actually remember the moment. Uh huh. So like um, that they replicate certain parts of of this, like that 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 you're getting on a trampoline. It's a similar one to to the to the one you were on, but it can't ha be so fresh in your mind that you're just going to be terrified of it. Otherwise, it ne they'll never get over it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you have to kind of like remind yourself of that state, and then they talk them kind of through what happened right before, and have them like repeat the same thing. And that's actually how they learn that people get over it. But I think in so terms they replace of their memory. To, they replace the memory. That's basically what it's doing. But what's interesting to me is like that whole idea of the 99% of the time, everything being terrifying and like that everything's a threat is that you don't get like you live in a constant state of fear. We would like call they, it a cycle of suck. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very hard to escape it. Yeah. So then like you never really get a chance to like, sit back and kind of think right. about what scared you. Can you come, can you overcome it? It's like one perpetual. It's all so many of those. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so vital that anyone listening is like, you have to question reality. You have to be willing to bend the rules a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's a very safe place, but it doesn't help you grow in any way. There's no expansion that happens there. Right. We talked about you know, coming in this idea. You know, one of the sort of pillars of the book is this philosophy of, you know, this whole sort of the new American dream and what it means and what it looks like and right. how it's represented yeah. and reflected. of our podcast. Yeah, well. right. Yeah. So I would argue that um, that each generation defines its own version of the dream. Mm -hmm. And some of those models tend to carry over or stick or are more sustainable models, right? And there are always evolutions on what individualism is. Yeah. The, the tension Absolutely. between generations is every mm -hmm. single generation. Every Every old generation thinks the young generation is entitled. It's not a That's millennial right. thing. Yeah. Every single generation, they always think that of the other generation. Like, that, why are they? Right. We're always finding new levels of individuality and how to push that. Right. Yeah. So if, if that's true, I think the extension of that is, and what we argue in the book, is that the dream isn't, shall always be about choosing to choose your, choose your own dream. It's having the choice. Right. Right. To redefine it or to reinvent it. Uh, or to pursue an experiment on your own terms. I'm gonna do just what I 
want Looking ahead, no turning back If I fall, if I die Know I lived it to the fullest If I fall, if I die Know I lived and missed some bullets I think the number one hang-up, though, people have in terms of, like, forging their own way is that, like, that fear coming into, like, I don't really know how to start this. Like, what kind, like, you know, the best, like, you can kind of try and imitate, like, you kind of want a, a little bit of a map. Like, how did you do it? Yeah. How do how do I make an adaptation of what you did and figure that out? You know, that's... I think that's a good point to raise because I think you're even saying that you, uh, Jonas, that you were at that startup, right? That's what got you a bit of that flame, it seems like, to have that entrepreneurial spirit and pull things confidence, to get in that confidence. Yes. That was the, the, the most, the single most important thing I got from that experience was recognizing that I, I could surface talents in mm -hmm. myself. I could bring those to the surface and I started identifying what I was good at. That was number one. So giving me that confidence mm -hmm. and that confidence is so critical. And in fact, if you look at um, so this, some of the studies about fulfillment and, and the sense of happiness and well-being, self-confidence is such a huge piece of that, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And the other big one is like, fitting in and belonging in a group mm -hmm. yeah that's a huge piece so like not only were we a startup company right we were friends we were we had this tribal this sense of community that we would help each other and shared values and wanted to change the world together and working very hard together and helping people sort of suss out what's what make what fuels their passion and you know gives them a sense of why and purpose and getting out of bed and and that sort of thing you know mm -hmm. way beyond simply just money and sustaining the physical frame that is certainly the learning process. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. And you had mentors too that probably when you were just getting, you know, all the gears in motion that you could also ask for advice. And, you know, I think that can be an important key to getting to the, to the ultimate autonomy, building your whole life. And I think uh -huh. we sometimes, because of this emphasis on the pursuit of happiness and doing it all on your own, there Nobody does isn't always that own. patience, you know, but it's a, it's a, of but, course, but like we like fall into that, like you have to, or yeah, being that, afraid to ask for help. Like or that. it's okay to borrow a dream for a little bit till you get, get there. Cause you're going to learn yeah. all those skills. You're probably going to rent a dream at some point and that's yeah. okay. You might rent multiple dreams until you figure out what you want to own. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Um, you're right. I was very fortunate. I had my guardian growing up it's in the book, actually, my aunt and uncle are my two guardians. Um, my uncle was a union negotiator and a painter and an artist and, uh, my wrestling coach as well. And, you know, very tough guy and, and also a very loving guy. And, but also the guy, if you, if you had problems, you asked him the question and he would give you, you know, he, gold wisdom would pour out, you know, mm -hmm. it's one of those learned tribal elders. My aunt was this wonderful, vivacious, you know, brilliant humanitarian French woman who had a very interesting perspective on the world, right? And there'd be Haitians in our home all the time and folks from Madagascar and South Africa. And, you know, it was this weird, fascinating world that was unlike anything else. Any of my other friends' homes, you know? And um, So you had a exposure to a lot of different perspectives absolutely. very early on, yeah. which is, yeah, not most people don't have that for the no. whole life. So it's very unconventional, right? And so that sense of being unconventional, relentlessly unconventional and unapologetically unconventional was imbued and endowed in me from a very, very early age. And so, and there's a lot of lessons and learning there, which is to say, there are, again, there are different modes of being. None of them is any better than the other, but you have to find what works for you and what gives you a sense of fulfillment. And for me, it was always having that sense of curiosity about the world. 
knowing that I could develop my talents, um, that I would always work hard and take care of myself and not worry about, um, hopefully not worry about starving to death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, again, first world problems, right? That projection of fear and trusting, simply trusting that eventually I was going to ascend to a level where I felt validated by the universe. I was surrounded by people who know, like, trust, and want to work with me, um, and you know who, who I would support equally, right? And so, you know, it's just been a it's been a building process, man. And and the whole thing that I was talking about this morning on the, on the stock exchange is like the sense of perseverance. You just keep going. So the first, what we're talking about in the book is um, are the three unseen laws of hustle, and I think these will connect some dots around this conversation. Okay, the first one is. Um, and the most essential is do something that moves you. So every day is this blank canvas, right? Where you can choose to do nothing or go through your, your normal routine and, you know, maybe it'll be good and maybe it won't. You might be, you know, overcome by the sense of meh, like I'm wasting my life. Or you can say, you know what? I'm going to reframe this entire thing. And so it's a, it's a, it's simply a, a psych, a conscious psychological commitment seeing this blank canvas that you can create and paint and add color to and all this stuff every day. So do something that moves you. What does that mean? That means put yourself in physical motion first, right? Hustle conveys energy. There's there's an exchange that happens there. You put yourself out in the world and you start moving. You may not have a clear destination and that's okay. Who has a clear destination every day, right? But we're going to start moving toward a goal um, and we're going to define it as we move forward. So in the process, what we're going to do is give ourselves a sense of energy and enthusiasm, excitement, hopefully, and we'll also orient to this idea of taking small risks or what we do, what we call experimentation, right? Um, observing, you know, doing certain things and observing the, the results or the effects. That's the first, the first uh, unseen law. The second one, once we're, we're sort of in motion, hopefully having conversations like this, which is enriching and nourishing, and like, you know, I'll step away and like, that was really interesting. I want to think about that some more. Maybe I'll do something with it. Um, you know, there might be a book here. Who knows? <laughs> um, but then it's like, okay, so I've got that. So I'm in motion. So now I want to um, pursue the, the second unseen law, which is keep your head up and look for opportunity, right? How many of us consciously every day like have our eyes sort of wide open and are, like, are looking for opportunity? And oftentimes we find it in unconventional or hidden places, okay? So it could be like, you know, a conversation that you've often taken for granted, but maybe you start listening for more selectively to cues, right, in the workplace. And maybe there's an opportunity to contribute in new ways or vice versa, right? Um, or, you know, you've had an idea and now it's been being validated because you see someone else talking about it. And you're like, oh, okay, so well, in the case of hustle, how did this, how do we go from a word that we were doing active social listening around online and in person to, you know, this, right? Um, well, you know, that was trusting that we were onto something, that we had a good idea that was an expression of the zeitgeist, you know, dreamers and doers who are trying to, um, uh, to make their way in the world on their own terms, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the second law is simply looking, you know, keeping your eyes open and looking for opportunity, also listening for opportunity. And the third and most important is um, to seal the deal and make it real. That's the third unseen law yeah. of hustle. <laughs> and that's the most common one, right? So um, it, it's bringing to finality or conclusion uh, either an idea or an experience or a product or whatever it might be, how it manifests in the real world, right? But you're creating something of meaning and lasting value, hopefully. 
and you're bringing it to conclusion. Why? So you can move on to the next thing and start the process all over. Exactly. Right. That's where you find fulfillment. Right. Finish it. Well, and that's where confidence comes from is actually like we, we've had a, we've talked about this a lot, but the difference between confidence and, and self-esteem is like self-esteem is believing that like you deserve certain things, but confidence comes from actually like setting goals and completing them. That's actually how people build confidence. I absolutely agree. It's like you point out like that. I did that. Yeah. Who does that? Yeah. I I actually did that. Right. Or you did whatever. Yeah. yeah, It's done. (laughs) You you did this. Right. This book right here. (laughs) Well, let me ask you this then. And this is something I've been noticing. So you say, keep your eyes out for opportunity. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think there's also uh, a being prepared for opportunity aspect of it? I think yeah. that's something that I've really been working on lately because, you know, ideas come from all over the place. And I think sometimes that's, right. that's why we do start to be like, okay, we got to gotta hone it in because, you mm-hmm. know, there's just so many ideas and where do you start? And then you will never finish, right? And something that um, I've been really focusing on is like just coming up with ways to categorize all my ideas and making sure that you know this is not an idea I can work on right now and coming up with processes to be like weight the different ideas and things like that yeah. so that like um because I think I noticed there's usually people on each end of the spectrum there are the people who just start a movement it's not that hard it's mm-hmm. like okay let's go and then it's the finishing that's hard versus the people who just like getting them to move is so difficult but if they do they're gonna finish that because mm-hmm. they've just you gotten them to move. Um, so I'm just curious for you how that, that works out. Because you you very prolific. You need to actually put things in motion and do them and juggle so many different things. Uh, so there, there are a few dynamics there. So one is, um, again, I, I am driven by curiosity uh-huh. and I'm driven by working with really great people. Uh, and so fortunately, you know, I have... I think that's uh, key. It is key. The, t- absolutely. the people, the team. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Community matters, number one. We, commu- we actually, we build and create community every day, right? And, um, and why would you want to have like a negative force in your community? You just, there's no, you know, it's like having like a, a dark night or the Darth Vader. <laughs> like, no, you want Jedi. You want to surround yourself with Jedis, right? <laughs> that's what you want. Um, so that's what I've done. And so how do I, you know, so there's a question of prioritizing, um, you know what? Certain certain ideas, certain projects have their own time, mm-hmm. right? And the other part of it that's really interesting, especially right now, it's fascinating. Actually, it's like crazy how all of these things are like sort of syncing up, and you know, I hate to say flow, but we're we're finding like we're in this current, this river. It's like this infinite river, and it's moving at a hundred miles an hour, and it's like you're in this raft, and you're trying to dodge the rocks and stuff, and you're but you're also in it with people who love you and love working with you mm-hmm. and, you know, in turn you love working with and um, whatever happened, you know, it's, it's incredibly meaningful, even if it fails miserably. Right. Um, I'm, I'm good with that. So, mm. but I'm also aware, like I've, you know, a finite amount of time in the day. I've got multiple things I have to consider, you know, I've, I have folks I need to answer to and so forth. And, um, you know, I've got a marriage to sustain and all the other things, right. And folks to support and so forth. So, um, one of the things that I do is um, I'm very, very proactive in managing my calendar. And so I can, I know that if I'm maxed out, I then the simple answer is the wonderful idea. I wish you the best. I'll give you some advice if I have any. I, there's no way I can fit into my life right now, right? Or if it's like irresistible, it's like, okay, I'll tell you what. 
let's find a time to deal with this. Like, let's address it and let's let's get it on the calendar, mm-hmm. right? Those are the two choices. Right now, I can show you my account. Like, it's it's chock full, not just of stuff that I'm doing, but of like of downtime and you know white space. Right? There's my friend Tim Sanders says creativity is what happens in the white space of our calendars. I really believe that. True. So you know, if I'm gonna after this interview play music for two hours, that's my choice, right? And I'm allotting myself time for that, or taking a walk, or you know, if I'm gonna sit and meditate, whatever I'm gonna do, right? Um, or chase a pigeon. You know, I have time for that. <laughs> yeah, chase pigeon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Thanks, I'll add Google. that. To, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but so I, you know, it's being very consciously aware of like where my time is going, knowing again that time is limited. I want to structure my life so that I can get maximum enjoyment and maximum fulfillment, and. Uh, that's your preparation for opportunity. Yeah, but also having like, okay, I'm going to be sleeping substantially like tomorrow. Because you, you know, learned that. Because I have to. Yes. Right? Um, and, or, you know what? I'm going to be, you know, maybe I'll, you know, it's Yom Kippur, so I'm fasting, right? I'll be fasting. And in the process, like, you know, I'm probably going to have an interesting breakthrough and realize, God, I really like food. You know? <laughs> I, <missed some> <laughs> I didn't know that. So I was just, nice. I'm just laughing because yeah. I was like, do you want dinner? You're like, Probably like, yes, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah. So and, and then the other thing is like coming into every day as focused and as energized as I possibly can. You know, if I'm and if I'm not, then saying stepping back and saying, okay, I need to be self aware. What's really like what's draining me right now? What is what do I need to deal with or work on? Um, can I be a little more reflective about it? You know, should I have a conversation with someone about it? You know, and, and like just get some clarity. Um, it's that level of uh, awareness that I think is so so critical and vital, and that has been a practice in and of itself. Like getting to that point, um, part of it's simply maturation, and part of it is listening to my body and my mind, but also knowing what the downside looks like. And it's a dark thing, and I don't, you know, God forbid I ever go back there, um, because it's I wouldn't wish a stroke on anyone. It's a terrible thing. Well, in some ways, you were talking about the limitations of fear, yeah. But in some ways, you now have a healthy fear. Yeah, I know what the, the there's a healthy like. fear of 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 uh, the moral coil, in that you before completely apparently didn't have a fear of that. So in some ways, maybe there's foolish. maybe there is maybe there is uh, healthy levels of fear. And now a voiceover actor to tell you a bit about Breather. A Breather is a well-decorated remote workspace you can rent by the hour with lots of locations and sizes to choose from. Oh, and now actually record episodes in them from time to time. So if you need a space to work remotely, have a meeting, or do something that's no one else's business in private, use discount code CHILL at breather.com for $45 off your first booking. Thanks, voiceover actor. Now back to our interview. Um, and so then Jonas, you, you taught your startup is, you want what is it called? Uh, yeah. So it's called Radical Wellness Inc. And it's based in Toronto. Six. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I have two partners. Um, one of whom is Dr. John Dempster, who's a naturopathic doctor based up in Toronto. That's where his clinic is. Practices functional medicine, um, which uses a lot of diagnostic tools, um, and tries to treat the whole person. 
rather mm-hmm. than simply the symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's very prescriptive in its approach and um, uh, looks at everything from hormone levels to you know, vitamin deficiency to whatever it might be, you know, diets to lifestyle and so forth. And my other partner is Ross McKenzie, and Ross was the subject of a documentary called Bipolarized, which is an award-winning doc. Um, we were introduced because there's a a um, a uh, documentary and sort of social innovation-oriented film community that I advise. Uh, so I was put in touch with Ross, and, and my buddy said, "You know, you should talk to him. This is an interesting doc, and certainly worth checking out." And so um, we we met, and that spawned the idea. Um, and Ross had already been in communication with John, and that led to us founding, co-founding this company. We launched in 2015. We now have, you know, 100,000 subscribers in four uh, four continents, and we're trying to scale to a million people. And I think we'll get there simply because um, the the learning and the education is out there, but no one's really integrating it meaningfully. And we've interviewed, you know, some of the world's foremost experts in all sorts of of healing modalities, whether it's energy medicine. Uh, or you know, understanding addiction, um, whether it be food addiction or sexual addiction or drug addiction, to detoxification, to um, really you name it, um, from you know medical research to cutting edge stuff and genomics to um, you know psychologists and dealing with trauma and so forth. And so it's a really beautiful library that we've constructed, and we'll continue growing it, and have interest from um, you know VC now. And so it's just a different scale. Um, in terms of what we do with technology, but the, there's such, again, this point of suffering. There's a lot of people who need this. They're not going to get it from the traditional approaches to, you know, sort of the reactive um, industrial medical care system. It just doesn't work that way. It's not designed for that. It's designed to be reactive. And to have you spend money on prescriptions. Quickly processed, yeah. right? Efficiently, get your drugs, go back to work and carry on. And like we haven't, dealt societally with proper coping mechanisms, right? Right. Uh, and that's something that you're very passionate about. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And so, and it's not to demonize any one way or path. Everyone has their own modality or preferred means of getting there. I was at the New Yorker Festival this weekend, as I was mentioning, and there was a panel of comedians, you know, the BoJack Horseman guy, Raphael. Have you guys <laughs> seen that show? Oh, God, it's she likes my it. favorite show. I think it's one of the best shows it's a ma- it's a miracle, right? And Raphael, the the creator, is like the most lovable, funny fucking excuse me, funny guy you'd ever that. meet. <laughs> this guy is he's hilarious, but he's also he's a huge empath. And like we hit it off like nobody's business. He's a great guy. <laughs> and then um, there were two other folks. One who was like Lady Dynamite. Do you know that actress? Oh my god, yeah, yeah. Maria Bamford. Crazy. She's, She's hilarious, right? <laughs> you just She's yeah, wild. Like, oh, your face. <laughs> both, yeah, they both just like use humor in a very like very unique way. Very much, exactly. Pinpoint, beautiful. Like right? Bojack, if Bojack was acted <laughs> by people, uh-huh. it would be too hard to handle. That's right, but it's a horse, a talking <laughs> horse, right? He's a has been, and, yeah. So we can empathize with him, even though he's an asshole. Um, but yeah, so we were talking about that, and like you know. We're trying to be open-minded about the conversation like you know for maria um god bless her man she is like, heavily bipolar and for her she tried every other means and like pharmaceuticals are a godsend and she's like i can't live without them fuck you if you have any issues with it okay i respect that you know mm-hmm. being honest with it that's your modality for other people it might be you know taking a walk every day right that's my choice or meditating or whatever um 
But you know, we all find our own ways to cope. And I think um, what you know sort of led me into launching the startup and, and partnering with my buddies um, was that real again realizing this idea that there's a lot of suffering today. A lot of it's needless suffering, and a lot of it's real suffering. We have traumas that we haven't dealt with and root cause symptoms, whether it's an abusive parent or we were abused, you know, emotionally or physically, sexually, whatever it might be, or you know, there's a bully in our life who for some reason has you know impacted us or you know, we have a spouse and we're totally codependent or sexually addicted or whatever it might be, right? The reality of the world is that we all have to deal with these things in our lifetime. So uh, how do you make money and what is it, how does it help people sure. and the suffering and the kind of, so we have all these issues, how's it? Yeah, so Radical Wellness Inc. So our flagship product is, um, is called the Mental Wellness Summit. So mm-hmm. it's mentalwellnesssummit.com. Um, we're going through a rebrand, but you can always get there through that. And it is a, essentially a learning library, self-paced. That takes you through from like sort of soup to nuts every possible way of looking at mental health and uh, physical health and so forth and emotional health as well. And so the idea is to go through you know sort of all the the, the interviews and lectures we did mm-hmm. um, and some of the practical tools that we we uh, attach to the experience and to reset your body and mind and spirit so that you can begin anew. And so that it's a prescriptive path. Everyone walks through it. They do it on their own time. And uh, yeah, we seem to be getting, you know, having tremendous benefit in people's lives. And it's, it's very affordable. You know, right now it's, um, well, the price is changing, but, but uh, it's, it's very, very low cost. And the idea it was to democratize the learnings so that we could serve as many people as possible. And, you know, hopefully we can continue to do that and, and, you know, scale and continue to grow, not just in the States, but again, globally. And beyond that, you know, I think, you know, I, I do a number of things, but... Yes, I was going to ask, please yeah. talk about... So we struggled, just not struggled, but there was just so many different directions that we could have gone with, with you just because, uh, yeah, you have so many interests, Jenna's. So just give us a little overview of some of the other things that you do. Yeah, so um, one of the things that I do is um, partner with people doing interesting work. And um, typically speaking, they are, you know, creative artists, or um, they might be, um, you know, uh, a well-known uh, thought leader, author, a TED speaker. Um, but typically speaking, they all come from a place of wanting to contribute to the world in some significant way. And um, and so we develop or co-develop projects or collaborations together. And so, you know, one example of this is a beautiful group of guys who are. Uh, professional improvisers and sketch comics um, based in Dallas and they are they're called four day weekends and it just so happened when I was flying out and we read about this in the book flying out to San Francisco to work on a marketing campaign for Ross's film Bipolarize I got on this plane I hadn't slept in a day I was exhausted in a crappy mood and I was sandwiched between these two guys and I get in the seat and um, one of them introduces himself and he says hey I'm Dave I'm a comedian um, haven't slept, so I'm probably going to nod off, but let's talk for a bit. And within, you know, 30 seconds or a minute of talking, we had this, you know, bond and this sense of understanding, empathy and humor. And, um, we woke up the other guy and we had a, this killer conversation for two, three hours. And since then we've been business partners and we're working on a book together and there are other ideas for a TV pilot and, you know, all sorts of things. But, um, you, know, you talk about finding community and working with community and pursuing projects that move you forward in some significant way, whether creatively or from a standpoint of you know spiritual understanding, whatever it is, it's consistently finding those people 
And so there's that. I have a major um, international feature film that I've been developing um, that's based out of Vancouver. And that'll hopefully be out in the theaters um, with a little luck in like 2018. Okay. And then beyond that, um, I have a couple of other books that I'm working on and um, have a documentary film production company based in Austin. And we have a documentary called Born With It. It's halfway through production. It's on blues musician Cedric Burnside, who comes from this long legacy of um, incredible blues uh, in the hill country of Mississippi. And it's, he's, he's a very soulful dude. You know, he's like the Jedi I was describing. <laughs> he's an incredibly enlightened human being, but he's also an incredibly gifted and talented musician who's been traveling on the road since he was 13 with his grandfather, R.L. Burnside. So this guy has cut his teeth for the last you know, 24 years and just got nominated for a Grammy this year, which is incredible, right? So that'll be done. Um, we want a grant for that as well through Austin Film Society, which is very lucky. And also validating. Uh, my brother's directing the film and I'm producing. And then um, beyond that, you know, I have a consultancy and so I do a lot of other projects um, globally. Uh, oh yeah, we didn't even mention. Yeah. You are kind of always traveling. Yeah, I am traveling and it, I'm lucky in that I, I don't have children right now. So I, I can do that. Um, it, you know, things may change fairly soon. Um, but uh, I spend about, you know, 10 days or so in Austin, in Texas. And the rest of the time I'm split between the coasts or, or working abroad. You mean per month? 10 days per month? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I have a question. You have like, so you do a lot of writing it seems mm-hmm. do you have like a routine do you wake up every morning and write is that like your the- uh so i have again i i have dedicated time on my calendar um generally speaking it's consistent but when i'm traveling it's a little more challenging so i try to identify you know blocks about an hour to two hours a day where i can just focus on writing if i'm not on deadline then i have a little more flexibility right but the, at minimum you know you want to write at least a page a day a minimum of a page a day. And if you can do that and you think about like 300 pages in a year or 300 days in a year, you're going to have something hopefully that's worthwhile to look at. It might be horrific and you should burn it. Um, but, but it'll be... Well, you're work. iterating, it's still, right? It's still... It's work better. <laughs> work. It's still physical. It's there. You're, you're it's, doing something yeah. that moves you, right? Yeah. You're doing something that moves you. And even if you're, you know, maybe you're just starting out in, in writing or playing music or whatever it is, what we say is like, don't get hung up on how long you do it. Just start. And what there's a simple rule we use in the book. That anyone can use. It's like ADD tested, right? Or ADHD <laughs> proof. Um, it's called the 10-minute rule. And so there's this idea of like, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, you know, the 10,000-hour rule, right? It's yeah. total bullshit. The 10-minute rule is <laughs> to put yourself in a place of non-judgment uh, where you're in the temple of doing immediately. Right, so you, you're finding flow. You're forcing yourself into flow without judging it, and even if it's like again horrible, like offensively bad stuff, that's going to lead you to better stuff because you're putting yourself in a path where you're actually doing something, which is always better than nothing, or planning to plan or over planning or overthinking and trapping yourself in this idea of the perils of perfection or the madness of mastery, as we say. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you get to mastery eventually, good for you. That's wonderful. You know, for me, playing the violin was like. You know, it's terror. I smashed that fucking thing, right? I literally smashed my violin. Um, forgive me. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, playing piano or playing guitar are different. You know, it's, you got to yeah. find your thing and you're going to f- also find and surface where your talent resides. 
and your your natural inclinations and these like innate blessings and gifts that you have, and we all have them. You know, you know what your gifts are, and if you don't, then you need to find ways to surface them. And the way you surface them is by trying a lot of different things. Do you think you were so obsessed with perfection before? Yes. Do you think you're actually closer to quote unquote perfection that because you let go of it? Do you feel like your quality of work, or did is that something you had to let go of that your quality no. of work kind of does suffer a little? I'm okay letting it suffer. Okay, so actually. it does. Well, I also think that this, mm-hmm. the nature of being an artist is that nothing ever feels done. Mm-hmm. You're right. So, like, Again, it wouldn't matter. It right. wouldn't matter if but, it was perfect. Like, if you did do it to perfection, mm-hmm. even in your mind, if you did complete it to perfection, the next day it still wouldn't be perfect because there. Then you'd still find something else. You know, as time goes on, it's true. Like, I was just wondering. Like sometimes I have the reverse thing. Like my obsession with something and almost that fear of not getting it to that perfection mm-hmm. actually stops you from making it better. And I don't know, I just didn't know if you had that same sort of response. Sometimes I'm like, when I let go of that, because you can be in flow, so you'll get like, um, sometimes even better work because you let go of the, the expectation that it's going to oh, be. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing is like, you know, I have a tr- like what I call my brain trust, right? Yeah. If it's this book, it's like Patrick and Neil or my agent are going to give me feedback or my editor for that matter. Uh-huh. So I'm getting validation. So, oh my God, right? that's so key. So, so you key. have to, so it's not only just putting it out, doing something that moves you and practicing the temple, doing all this stuff. Letting other people help you get there. <laughs> it's like, and even if like, you don't have to take all of their opinions, like, but just try to make some sense of it. Like ask the question, like, why do you think that? What is it that's, that's not working for you? I catch myself in that too every so often. Like, and the overthinking because sometimes yeah. a lot of times comes from like oh is it going to be meeting this need and that da, 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 and you try to anticipate everything when you're like yeah. let's just put it out there and then you'll actually get the feedback to know which direction because the anxiety right. is over the unknowns that's, yeah, right. that's where you start spinning because you start anticipating all these things that you can't actually know yes and it's good to do a little bit of that just to have like some thoroughness in your planning right but then you get to a point where you're like i just, they're all unknowns that's why actually, you can't move forward i feel like the un- <laughs> I think timing really matters when you let the the room, the unknown, like that whole idea of like sitting down and doing something for 10 minutes. Like mm-hmm. I'm starting something new. I literally have to do it the second I wake up, like right after wake morning meditation, whatever. Mm-hmm. Can't think about it because the second I start thinking about it, I will waste forever. <laughs> but if you already have something kind of like, and then you start thinking about, Oh, what are the other unknowns? And like, right. It's not so scary. Cause you have like your, your, canvas isn't white anymore it has an outline well you're you moving you put yourself in movement right <laughs> do something that moves you it's funny you say that like i waking up in the morning is probably like first world problem probably the hardest thing i do all day it's sure. just like getting up in the morning i like have i'm, I'm just a night person mm-hmm. and like i can get enough sleep it's just like like people i meet that just wake up and they're like la, 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 and they're like talking <laughs> i'm like you're insane i like it just takes me at least 30 minutes for my brain to catch up with my body uh-huh. But um, I've been doing this. I just wake up. I just start doing push-up and squats. Wow. It's literally just like to get the energy going. And I know I don't even want to, but I'll just like, that's the first thing. I just like roll out of my bed. something you don't have to actively. So I don't have to think about it. And it usually just gets the blood flowing. And mm-hmm. I also get some exercise that I should be doing anyways. And it's, it's literally like just trying to get my brain and everything going. Because it literally like it just, I don't, I've never been one of those people that just wakes up and seems to just function well yeah 
I don't know. I don't get that to be both. I think taking taking advantage of that grogginess is like what's good. Even like writing or something. Because then you're just not judging it. Like, And sometimes you're like, oh, damn. I'm smarter than I thought it was. <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> you describe yourself as an empath. Do you, it's interesting because before your stroke, you didn't actually honestly sound that empathetic towards yourself in some ways. Did that end up reflecting in the way uh, you related to other people? And I wonder how that shifted when you were more empathetic towards yourself post-stroke and how you related to people. Did you, yeah, yeah how does that affect it? Uh, so the the power of humility, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, it's, looking back now, I think, that there was such a desire for perfectionism that, and, and I was completely unforgiving. Mm-hmm. Any mistakes I made, like I really beat myself up horrifically. Um, and so I wouldn't do it to other people, but it was, you're right, it was the worst. Like It would block you though, wouldn't it, from being able to really fully was, empathize from other people if you have this negativity towards it was yourself? A, it was, I was chained, right? Mm-hmm. I was chained, it was, it was torture. Right? Honestly, it was torture. Um, so developing that self-empathy, as you call it, right, um, was one of the great products of that. And now I'm like, you know what, you're, you're okay, buddy. You know, you're going to make it. And if you make mistakes, that's okay too. Like, learn how to laugh. Like, one of the great things, but like, again, improv, or, you know, this, this idea is like, um, every day is going to be full of wonderful failures. Mm-hmm. Like, horrific, hum- you know, humiliating failures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, now... Whereas before, I would have been terrified of that. And you would, would like judge cover, would you like, did you try to cover all that stuff up too? Would you spend all oh, the yeah. time? Like- yeah, I was absolutely, you know. Um, and now it's just like, ah, this is great. It's wonderful. Just like <laughs> bulldoze me, like, you know, like let's like, you know, dump the food on my lap and smile about it. You know, it's like, it's okay. Um, I didn't have that capacity before to answer the question. And now I'm okay with it. That's cool. Because I, I really think the way we communicate with ourselves is very much a reflection of how we end up relating to other people uh-huh. you know um you know they always have that saying you can't love yourself like you can't love someone until you love yourself it's almost like you just wouldn't even know how to to true like truly be gentle with yourself if you don't know how to be gentle with yourself i feel like it's it's hard to be like truly gentle with other people and do mm-hmm. it in a way that's actually genuine Cause you actually know how that feels, you know, yeah. you know, like that's what you need and you felt it before. So how do you convey that to someone else? Um, so, I mean, I guess that's another thing that might've come out of it. Uh, I, I think it did. And, and I think the, you know, and maybe I, I, I can't, cause it's, it's, hard, it's hard to understand like how like, my listening has changed, for example, like now versus back then even, or my patience levels and, I don't know. I mean, on, I guess on some levels, like, you know, I know time is finite, but I feel like I have infinite time at the same, at the same time. It's yeah. sort of confusing. But what I'm trying to say is that I'm willing to allow time for these important exchanges. There's also time just to listen to what's going on in my head. Well, does it, is it like you've also eliminated other stuff like that? You know, the importance of like the, the false importance of being busy, uh-huh. right? Like, you fill your time with all these other things and then you tell yourself you don't have time for things that really matter. But like right. giving yourself more time for these, like giving yourself more room 
feels like more it's like less of a that pressure feels like you have more time i don't know is that is that kind of what you're saying i think that's part of it yeah but it's also managing the realities of you know the structure and the you know the intensity of some of the projects like you know doing this book um at times was like literally was torture it was intense right um and so now it's and it's also like you know sort of like like think of it as sort of like a wave you know the wave it builds its energy right and uh, eventually you know you're so think of that as the intensity of the project building and then it crashes, right? And there's this sense of peace or space. That's where I am right now. And like, I'm <laughs> fully aware of that. I love it. I'm like breathing it in and celebrating, smiling every day, knowing that I have like, there's going to be another huge project of the, you know, my stable of things right now that is, is going to pick up in intensity and yeah. carry me through the next wave, right? And so like, how many of these waves are you going to have in your life? And, you know, if you're lucky, you have a lot of them. I feel like I'm on that path right now. Um, but it's also, yeah, it's, it's absolutely allowing space to reset and to like, you know, this <laughs> drinking your own Kool-Aid. Like, so, so this, you know, the mental wellness summit is like, that's, I practice that as well. And, you know, so I, I can vouch for the benefits of it. Um, it sounds like an infomercial now, but the, the, the truth is that like, you've got to find your way, you've got to listen and tune into it and, when things are crazy, you owe it to yourself to find those coping mechanisms. And preferably, you do it every day. And that's, I mean, I would argue that's essential. Yeah. I, mean, I sure do. Because then you, you're, you're putting those muscles. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. avoiding the breakdown, you know? Yeah, but, but there's, there's, there's even more to it. Like, so we call it hormesis in the book, this idea of you know, repeated um, exposure to um, small stressors doesn't make you weaker. Um, actually benefits you, makes you stronger, right? And so it's, you know, so that it's, it's finding those like, it's, it's adaptive resilience essentially, mm. right? It's like letting the baby cry so it can learn how to like, like self. Yeah, so like, take care of like, if you coddle, if you go and care, like pick up the baby every single time mm-hmm. baby cries, it like won't know how to self-soothe when That's you stop right. doing yeah. that. That's right. Um, I'm so curious. So I had like another question about the empath thing. Yeah, sure. Is is it just that you feel different people's emotions more? Because I just realized this. It's not necessarily like you n- may respond or that. So that must always change. Like you were saying later on that you can't quite measure, but you probably respond to people a little bit differently and stuff. But mm-hmm. it's more the fact that you have just the sensory and feeling of people's emotions versus someone with like Asperger's on the other end of the spectrum where. Right. They would just not even, those things don't register it, to them. Yeah. yeah, no, that's, in fact, I mean, that is the spectrum we're talking about. But okay. it's like me looking into your eyes, Olivia, uh-huh. and not saying a word, and just creating that space and, for empathy and understanding that you have your own experiences and traumas and um, challenges and adversity that you have to deal with, uh-huh. right? Um, and also like recognizing the divinity in you. Right, as this you know, wonderful living being, um, you know, contributing to the world in some meaningful way on your own terms, but also like having to deal with like the realities of that life can be you know one of suffering too, right? Mm-hmm. And then like also managing like your creative uh, endeavors, and so and like all of this, like, this incredible 
you know, bowl of life that you're the soup that you're mixed in, like just acknowledging, well, that's a really tremendous thing that you're doing and all those sort of questions come into your mind when you meet someone yeah it's like what i mean it's how do you know the soul the essence of someone other than say that god this is a again your divine being and like i'm acknowledging that (laughs) i love it you know what i'm saying i mean maybe this is this is kind of strange but that's what i'm saying it's that (laughs) level of awareness like yeah you know you're a beautiful soul and you're doing your thing and this is a, a very authentic conversation we're having and there's there's no need for bullshit like we don't we can strip away all the ego stuff I just deal with each other as human beings, right? Yeah. That seems to be a theme with our podcast, right? Yeah. Well, hopefully. Um, And, you know, like, you guys have heard that, that, like, New York Times, um, well, they didn't come up with it, but there was this experiment to make people fall in love. Oh, yes. Um, They wanted to see if they could make people fall in love. I'm unfamiliar. This is interesting, Um, yeah. And uh, they'd have complete strangers sit across from each other and stare at each other in the eyes the entire time. And I think it's like, I'm not exactly, whatever, it's, I'm not exactly sure about mm-hmm. exactly how, how long this is. But I think at first they stared at each other's eyes for like five minutes. Then they asked like one small question that's like, whatever. And every, there's like a series of like maybe 40 questions. And each one is slightly bit more revealing where by the end, if you're like asking number 35 and you asked it at the beginning, they'd be like, no, thank you. But it replicated, these people felt like they'd fallen in love with each other. Wow. But the number one thing is that they had to look each other in the eyes the mm-hmm. entire time. And it like opened up this world of like empathy. It's just so funny when you when you stared at her in her eyes, mm-hmm. it was like, oh my God, we don't stare at people. We don't look people in the eyes. Like That's we right. don't That's have these. That's a brilliant observation. Like, <laughs> and it's and it, and it's so funny that that could build. Because you really have to be open just, yeah, that to do that, to be comfortable so with it. Quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not do it in a threatening way because it, eye contact used either to open people up or it's to assert power. Yeah. And those are the two ways that, and so to be able to do in a way it's opening and not. Yeah. Because otherwise, yeah, it's. <laughs> I think that's why women avoid eye contact. Cause like men on the street are be like, yeah, they're, yeah, just, it's like, uncomfortable and it's yeah, no. Thank you. But, um, yeah, I'll send it to you. <laughs> So you, you've had all this life experience and you're always iterating. What is, what is something that you feel like you still struggle with now? Yeah, I'm sure there are a number of things. Um, I'll try to give you a couple of concrete examples. I think one is, um, you know, I, I don't know how you are with family. I think family is a really challenging thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a challenging experience. And there's a great line, I don't know if you're a fan of... Um, uh, the McLean book, which is A River Runs Through It. Do you know? Yeah, that, I read it a long time ago. Yeah, it's a beautiful book, right? One of my favorites. It's modern day transcendentalism. Yeah. Um, but he writes about how, um, and I may be confusing this, but this idea of like loving your family infinitely, but still not really knowing who they are. You I kind of remember this, yeah. Um, and the challenge is there. And it's like, and, and even if you're trying to express love, it's probably never enough. Like, how do you ever mm. tell someone like, you know, that you spent your whole life journey with in some level, maybe you're not totally connected all the time, but you're like, you know, I, I, it's, you know, you get lost for words and then eventually, you know, they die or you die or something. It's like, so I think it's, it's reconciling, you know, dysfunction in family. That's a, that's a tough one. 
Um, because ultimately, like, who are you to judge anyone else, right? Um, and uh, and so it's like that's a great challenge. I think that's one of the things I'm, I I'm, I struggle with. It's hard, right? Yeah, yeah. And so then beyond that, and and then beyond that is just you know staying true. So this idea of betraying yourself to stay true to yourself—it's one of the concepts in the book we talk about. So what does that mean? You can unpack it, but it's like betraying your old self to stay uh-huh. true to your new self. You know, it's, mm. we talked about, we opened with the end of history illusion. Mm-hmm. So recognizing that the Jonas who's talking to you both right now is going to be very different from the one that you have coffee with in five years or whatever. It's like understanding that adaptability and that evolution that, that we're, we can hopefully reach and, uh, and being cool with that. And that's a challenge, right? Because you think, oh, I'm like the self-perfected Zoxian state now, right? Mm-hmm. But actually I'm not. And I'm, I know nothing. And I think I know things, but I don't. And I'm going to evolve to another place where I have the same experience. I'm like, oh, wait, I actually don't. And now I have more <laughs> growth ahead. And it's growth within and it's growth on, you know, externally as well. It's, yeah. it's managing those things. So it's, um, it's keeping that, that frame around being this like, perpetual student. You know, I'm learning so much from this experience tonight. So what am I, you know, I'm going to process this probably in the next few days, right? I feel very emotionally impacted right now by this like i'm gonna think about a lot of this i feel very moved by this conversation that's very flattering and you know there was no intention other than to have a an authentic exchange of ideas and feelings you know and so i think um i'm I'm happy to hear that actually right and i so it's like (laughs) we talk about doing something that moves you you know there's a physical aspect of it but there's also an intellectual aspect to it and an emotional aspect and almost spiritual aspect. And, you know, again, we owe it to ourselves to have more of these conversations. I really think it's invaluable and I hope that your listeners take that as you know, way as well. And so thank you very, very, very much, both of you. And, um, you know, we'll see how folks respond. Yeah. Um, definitely what I love doing about this. Yeah. And, um, yeah, got a lot out of this conversation. So, it's the book, book is Hustle. Hustle. Um, and the website, sorry, sorry, you want to plug all of your website? You also have a jonascoffler.com. Yeah. So, so for the book, um, it's just hustlegeneration.com. Uh, and you can you know, find copies of the book on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and at your local um, retail stores. And we're now in, I think, eight or nine countries. So if you're international, mm-hmm. you can find it. <laughs> elsewhere um <laughs> and then um you know Koffler Pictures is my film and production company with my brother and you know I mentioned the documentary Born With It um if you're into uh improvisation and sort of yes and philosophy which is I think I mean it literally is like plugging into the force like Star Wars force visit four day weekends if they're just it's just incredible um, life-changing and then of course our startup is Radical Wellness Inc. and you can find um, mentalwellnesssummit.com which is the house uh, where we have our library of learning and other tools and products and stuff that we're building. And then um, you know my co-authors are Neil Patel and you can find him at quicksprout or neilpatel.com and Patrick Laskovitz which is flaskovitz.com or his company is called Superpowered and they're a leader in the VR space. So lots cool. to, to dive into there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's like We'll have all 87,000 links <laughs> on the website. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Download them all. Uh-huh. Yeah. The paradox of choice. <laughs> um, oh, thanks again. 
My pleasure. Thank you both. All right. Bye. 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 I mean, I kind of like, I, I'm really glad he shared his story with us. Um, I think he, he's done a lot of things right. Like we talked about how, you know, he, he was like, had all these random jobs, like masonry, whatever, and then took a job at a startup and he learned so much, like and built confidence by just like, he said something about um, the, the most important thing that happened to him was learning that he could like um, nurture these talents within himself. Right. That's what the startup gave him. You know what it makes me think of? How I've been thinking about it, at least in terms of those like steps to how to get to where you need to be. It's almost like I remember when I was working with a personal trainer, she would have me do an exercise and there'd be somewhere I just like I would just not do it right with the proper form. And she'd be like, oh, that's because this muscle is weak. So let's just isolate that muscle and work on that for a little bit. And then we'll try to do it all together again. And so I feel like the startup, all these little baby things that you get to, like those are you working those muscles so that you can get to where you actually want to be. But so many times we want to just do like the big, the big ta-da, the big yeah. whatever exercise. And then you hurt yourself and you're like, why isn't, why is this so hard? And like, why like, like maybe this is not for me, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, you just got to like isolate some muscles <laughs> and work on that shit first. And then like, you'll be able to do it on your own because Otherwise, yeah, you yeah you could hurt yourself. Like, doing yeah, the other way. And like another thing he does is surround himself with talented people, like who he respects, who have shared values, and like that's actually we always talk about that community is so important. Mm -hmm. But like they're gonna be able to pick up where you know pick up on your strengths, and you're gonna be able to like balance each other, um, right? Or even give you some insight on yeah when you might gonna you might hurt yourself or you didn't know it or someone to spot you at least yeah. or give you tips or like even with that personal trainer was doing I was like I didn't know why I was having trouble and it's easier from an outside perspective or someone that's been there too yeah yeah and like I mean I think that's why uh his his um health startup is so interesting in terms of just looking at all these health issues more holistically you know and looking at the mental aspect of things and I think I think you know we've had this conversation before but that's really the direction of where we need to go. Like right now, like the whole discussion about like, why is healthcare so expensive when maybe it's the way we're treating it, how much we put into uh, just short term, like reactive responses to our health, you know? Yeah. And that's like part, I mean, there's so many reasons why our healthcare in this country in particular is so expensive, but that's one of them. Yeah. Sure. But being preventative, like being, you know, being proactive matters. Like And putting the incentives in our healthcare system to be more aligned with that yeah but we can do that stuff for ourselves it's like even you know companies who like brought in free yoga for their for their um offices like mm -hmm. saw like a decrease of like 30 percent in claims in mm -hmm. healthcare claims for oh, the yeah. year yeah it saves money and saves life like and those are things we can do for ourselves even if our companies are People aren't really it's looking true, out for us. But they even yoga classes start to add yeah. up. Oh, they are expensive. In terms of they're yeah. expensive, you know, and and having more anyways, that's a whole healthcare that's topic. Whole thing. But a lot but. of startups actually have friends who like their startups give their companies give them like a certain amount every quarter to spend on 
like healthcare on self-care or something like, so it's either like gym membership or like joining elite soccer league or something, which is great. But and, yeah. And it ultimately but, has to do with being in tune with your body and your mind to be able to actually take care of yourself in that way. You know, I think we usually get these like prescriptions where you're just like, okay, like, you know, this is what's going to fix it right now. But I think ultimately all these different like more wellness approaches are holistic. You know, you have to, like we talked about that earlier on about like knowing what's good for your skin this time of year and having to like find out what the diet that's right for you. And that's partially always being, being the student, which I was really yeah inspired by um, Jonas at the end where that was the thing that he was like, I still struggle with that just because I know I don't know everything. Even when you feel like you know everything at this yeah. point or you're like in a good state, it's like, no, there's still so much more for you to learn. Yeah. I actually talk about that in the book. There's like an anecdote about about one of the authors like looking for crawfish with his son. <laughs> and he tells his son that there's no crawfish in the creek. And then his two-year-old jumps into the creek and all these craw- crawfish <laughs> crawdaddies come like swimming up. That's amazing. <laughs> and like, it's like, yeah, you, you never really totally know. Um, and then my probably most favorite thing is the idea of letting go of your old self to be your new self. Yes. Oh God, ideas of ourselves yeah. are like so, they're just like. That's always being a student. That's an iteration of that, but it's. But you have to. We have, yeah. we have these ideas of ourselves, and we see ourselves in these very like specific ways. And like, it's kind of weird because it's like in our culture, it's like there's nothing more desperate than an old person trying to be young. Mm-hmm. And and but that's actually the same thing. Is like like not letting go of our old self and that's not embracing true. like the new you know the new self. And it's like we shame people for it, like when they get to a certain age, especially if they're women, but just in general. And it's like, we have these ideas of like, no, I'm the fun party person. I'm not a relationship person now. No, yeah. I'm not like, yeah. you know, but you do like need to adapt and embrace those things is what makes you like a good parent or like a good lawyer is not the same thing that made you like, like a really great person to like go camping with or like go to burning man. with. It's so interesting. <laughs> Cause I think we all can, be aware of the way society puts boxes on us, but that's like the we inner can- level of the the box that we create of what we are capable of, what we're about, or or just seeing that we're a bit more fluid. You know, I think for me this summer that was one big thing that like I was doing. I I realized some of my behaviors were huge upfront to my identity, and that was like what was so hard for it to process. Ah, you know, it was just it. I had rejected that aspect of myself. I was like something like a part of myself that I think I displayed more in high school, you know, and was like, I thought I burned that part of myself, you know, and I like wasn't willing to confront it in some ways. And I realized certain things make you a better person, right? Like showing kindness to people or like Mm -hmm. whatever, but then like you need to be careful with how you, who, who and how you do that. Or like, I don't know, like, those kinds of things. It's like you want to view yourself as like this altruistic person. Yeah. But like, but we learn, like I used to be a nicer person than I am now, mm-hmm. but I think I'm still really nice and great to my friends, but I think I'm a lot better at choosing people now because I'm not so. Well, it's funny for me, it's actually, <laughs> I mean, I think it, it brought out just like some darker sides for sure too, that I just, I didn't think I really not that I didn't think I was capable of anymore, but just like 
just didn't think I like had it in me or like whatever would want to act like that. But I ended up acting in ways that I didn't want to. And that really messed with like in terms of processing that and admitting that I had that part still in me was Got very it. much like a because you oh, yeah. I was hard for me to accept that I was playing into some of these old habits that I was like that was like when I didn't even consider anyone in some ways you know that's and it's, funny yeah and it's just weird to see that you know we all have different capabilities insides of us and so it's it's what you feed right yeah um. So like we're always fluid in that way or like, you know, or that we like sometimes backslide with stuff and like what will get you out of it, though, is like more quickly seeing the fluidity than being like, no, <laughs> that's not me. <laughs> I would never. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but I really yeah, I love that. And I think that's also probably one of the reasons why, you know, that whole thing about like you're harder on people who have similar quality, like who, who like do things that piss you off. It's like usually something that you see in your like a reflection of yourself right right. and like that's kind of like takes a like it takes a lot to like recognize are you still that person that you don't think you know that you'd like Mm -hmm. like to to be like i'm not that person anymore i'm my new self right right um no it's so true yeah wow well yeah this was see even this part was very enlightening very very lovely enlightening an emotional conversation and uh jonas appreciated the conversation as well he's been on a lot of podcasts and he felt like that when i told him he so he came on the show uh, before doing the show he kept being like oh what do you want to talk about you know and i we gave some overview but i was like honestly it usually works out organically and i feel like he didn't quite believe me and then after it he was like Oh, you guys really care. And it did work out very organically. <laughs> like, oh, that was nice. I was like, like, I really appreciate that. Usually they're trying to like just push you in, push you out. Like, you know, <laughs> and no, so. and I, that, that's the whole point it is like, and I, I, I get that too. Cause it's like, if I guess you just like part of it is getting to know us. Right. right. And what, what we're trying to get out of it is an insightful conversation. Exactly. And thinking and being able to think about things a little bit with a new perspective or with a new twist. It's cool. I've been talking to a lot of people about how on the podcast and off just being like, you know, I realize I just want to have deeper conversations with people and connect with them about stuff. And that's something I realized that I really want more of. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah, let's. <laughs> let's continue. Um, so, yeah. So maybe um, one of the things you might want to think about a question you didn't know was relevant might be. Um, like what parts of your old self might be great to let go, might benefit you to let go and move on. Right. Um, and how, or how might you, too. or how might, how might you embrace, embrace y- these new aspects as, and old aspects. Yeah, embrace yourself as you are now. Right. I guess that, cause that's on the twofold. Cause it's not even like the new you, that you is always there at any point. You could be like, I'm now a relationship person. You know, yeah. it's not necessarily the new you. And it's like, it just might be a new perspective that's expanding. Yeah. Your and you're horizons. still fun. It's like, yeah. it's like your hair. Like you, you say like you get your hair falls out every seven years, but it doesn't all fall out at the same time. Like you have some of your old hairs and some of your new hairs at every point in time. Yeah. I always thought that, I always thought about that so much as a kid. But like, <laughs> I have not heard it explained like that. I've heard the seven years about your skin, which I guess is the same sort of thing. Yeah. But you always have some like, you know. You have like your whole new body. It's not like all your hair falls out on one day and it all starts together. I don't. <laughs> no, it's a weird kid. 
if you didn't know. You're still a weird kid. Okay? I know. I know. I like, I like how weird I am. <laughs> um, but yeah. So anyway, embrace yourself, accept yourself, love All yourself. All of yourself. All of yourself. Um, All right. I'm O. I'm No. And, and we love you. Bye. bye. I want a perfect body. I want a perfect soul.